are. And we all have those bar moments in our lives. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Those defining moments of, of decisions that we have to make or crises that we come into in our circumstances uh, that arise when we have a choice to make about moving forward in faith or we stay wandering around in a spiritual wilderness. And then last week we examined how experiencing amazing things from God is, is contingent on the call to consecrate ourselves. Uh, the before principle I talked about. To be as spiritually prepared as we can be to keep our eyes open and our hearts ready for the amazing things that God, uh, who is always on mission, uh, may have for us. You see, the Bible tells us, uh, and I believe it, as, as no doubt you'd expect me to as a pastor, to believe what the Bible says, that God always wants to do amazing things for us and through us. We have an awesome God. But while we might praise God for what he's doing in other places and we hear about stuff happening all over the world and we hear stories of miracles and of wonders and, and things that other people experience, we aren't always ready to believe that God can do those sort of things for us and right where we are. And so this morning I want to conclude this series by focusing our attention on the two most important words in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5. And they're not consecrate yourselves. We've already talked about that. They're not amazing things. We've already explored that. As important as those are. The most important two words in this verse are. The Lord. The Lord. Because as crossover people. We recognize that our faith life is really all about God, the Lord. It's not about us. It's about him. Amen. And so the question really that we're going to explore for a little while this morning is, who is the Lord? Who is he? Who is this God who calls us to consecrate ourselves and promises that we will see him do amazing things? Really, who is this God that we profess to believe in and say we have a relationship with and we give our lives to? Who is he? The truth is that on one hand, he's beyond knowing. But on the other hand, as we mature in our faith, as we go on to maturity, we get glimpses, don't we? We get glimpses of his great love for us. We get glimpses of his power and his awesomeness, even his glory. And so as we, as we dig into the word this morning, I've set myself an impossible task of trying to describe God for you. In other words, trying to describe, as we sang in the song, the indescribable. Now, I want to start off by playing you a video of Pastor Louis Giglio. American pastor who was at a conference and who's, who really specializes in many ways in, in, in trying to help people understand the awesomeness of God. And in this particular clip, he's, he's doing it by asking us to think about his creation. Uh, and, 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 and as we read earlier, who is man? You're mindful of us. We're nothing really when you think of God's great creation. So if you've got that uh, video lined up there, Stuart, um, it's an American conference he's at, but uh, uh, just listen to what he has to say. To worship, this is an amazing thought. God 
my way, humbles me. One of the greatest books that was ever uh, written or entitled really was one called The Knowledge of the Holy, written by A.W. Tozer. And in, in the introduction to the book, he says this, the, a low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. The decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. And he says a rediscovery of the majesty of God, the awesomeness of God, will go a long way towards curing them. And the truth is that if we are to be crossover people, and we are people whose faith life is to be shaped and uh, molded by God, then we really need to get a handle on who this God is. The Apostle Paul even had difficulty doing this as he tells us in Romans chapter 11, the passage we, sorry, we read earlier. For the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has been sharing about the power of the gospel. He, he's shown step by step, if you read those chapters, God's way of putting sinners right with himself, how Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification, how we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection, and how the Christian life is lived not under the law, but to be lived in the spirit. And he even shows how God plans to eventually incorporate the fullness of Israel and the Gentiles into his kingdom. And then Paul begins to look beyond the horizon of time into eternity. And he pauses as his theology up to that point gives way to a doxology of praise and adoration. And as he contemplates the unfathomable wealth of God's infinite knowledge and unlimited wisdom. And we read it just a few moments ago. And this passage has been called an explosion of praise. And it begs the question that we all need to think about. How big is our God? When Christian songwriter Chris Tomlin sat down to write the song that we're going to end the service with in a, shortly, he wrote the words of the chorus first. And they began with the words, how great is our God. And for a long time he testifies that that's all he was able to come up with. In an interview he said he didn't really know where to go from there. He prayed, Lord, this is all I have. There's no other words that I can summon in the English language to describe how great you are. And who could blame him? How do you describe the greatness of God? And eventually, of course, he did finish the song by borrowing a whole wealth of majestic and mysterious imagery from the pages of Scripture to try and capture God's greatness. And, and the opening lines are among my favorite, the splendor of the king, clothed in majesty. And the second verse that begins, age to age he stands and time is in his hands. By the way, didn't you wish that was true for all of us because... Speaking for myself, of course, uh, we don't seem to age as well as God does, uh, do we? But uh, I heard the story about a little girl who climbed up on the lap of her great-grandmother and looked at her for a while with her white hair and her wrinkles. And, and then she said, or she asked her great-grandmother, did God make you? And her great-grandmother said, yes. And then the little girl asked, did God make me too? And the great-grandmother said, Yes. And then the little girl paused and said, well, don't you think he's doing a better job these days? <laughs> <laughs> I 
And while our spirits may be renewed day by day, our bodies, of course, just aren't made to last forever. But God, on the other hand, is unchanging. He's eternal. He's immortal. And while we might agree that our God is a big God, in the back of our minds sometimes, we may question, well, is God big enough to, if he's big enough to control the universe, but is he really able to take care of me in all of my circumstances? A generation ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And I believe the reason why sometimes we struggle in our faith life is because somehow we view God as much smaller than the God of the Bible. And we have him neatly defined and we, we keep him in a box of our own making. God in a box. J.I. Packer has said, this is where most of us go astray. Our thoughts of God are not great enough. We fail to reckon with the reality of his limitless wisdom and power because we ourselves are limited and weak. We imagine that at some points God is as well and find it hard to believe that he's not. We think of God as too much like we are. We need to learn to acknowledge the full majesty of our incomparable, indescribable God and Saviour. Over the centuries, of course, scholars and theologians have used certain words to try and describe God's essence, like sovereign, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, infinite, eternal, immortal, just to mention only a few. But no list of adjectives can ever adequately picture the immenseness of our God. He's bigger than our biggest words. He's grander than our grandest conceptions. He's far bigger than we can imagine. His presence fills the whole universe. He's more powerful than we'll ever know. He's wiser than the wisdom of the wisest men and women. His love is beyond understanding. His grace has no limits. His holiness is pure. And his ways are past finding out. He has no beginning and no end. He created all things. And all things exist by his divine power. No one gives him advice. He's perfect in all his perfections and all our best efforts to understand him fall so far short of his divine reality that we flatter ourselves to think that we can fully understand him. Deuteronomy 29 and 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And Isaiah 55 and 9 teaches, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, says the Lord, higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts reminding us that God's thoughts are higher because he's God and we're not. During a, a Sunday sermon, the pastor asked a couple, a married couple, to act out the burning bush scene. You remember that scene where Moses came in the burning bush in the Old Testament? And the husband was asked to be the voice of God and his wife was going to be Moses. And it went well until the wife, as Moses mistook her husband's lines for hers and read, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, at which point the, the pastor interrupted and said, hang on a minute, you're not God. And without missing a beat, her husband said, pastor, I've been trying to tell her that for 18 years. Um, it shouldn't surprise us, therefore, that God does many things that we don't or we can't understand or that many of our questions about life go unanswered because in dealing with our deepest struggles, it helps to remind ourselves about who God really is. And the greater our view of God, the more strength we'll have 
to face the trials of life, but the smaller our view of God, we'll be more likely to stumble in our faith when difficulty or, or tragedy strikes. You know, the full wonder of God's glorious wisdom and power are absolutely beyond human understanding. The Apostle Paul was well acquainted with God as, as much as any man ever was, and yet he confessed to be at a loss to know the depth of God. He said, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Let me ask you, how deep is God? God is so deep that Paul can only stand at the edge of who God is and exclaim, oh, oh, the depth. And this is what Paul felt as he came to the end of his contemplation of God's sovereignty, man's sin and God's eternal plan to show grace and mercy to all who will believe, as, as David told us earlier, until finally he says, let's stop trying to understand God and simply praise him for his incredible plan of redemption. And he goes into that doxology that we just read. God is worthy to be praised because God knows what he's doing, even when we don't. And so Paul falls down before God and he worships him. And worship should begin where theology or understanding ends because as someone has wisely said, theology must eventually become doxology or else we'll be guilty of thinking that we truly understand God when we never can. We have no category for the depth of God's character. He knows everything there is to know and we know nothing except what God has chosen to reveal. Trying to understand God is like trying to empty the ocean with a tiny little bucket that your kids bring to the seaside. <clears throat> you dip your bucket in a thousand times and you haven't made a dent in the vast expanse of the water. Your bucket's too small. Your arms are too weak. The ocean's too large, too wide, too deep. I love the words of this beautiful hymn. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. We can't begin <coughs> to comprehend the depths of his being. And not only is his knowledge deep, it's also wide. He knows everything that has been. He knows everything that is. He knows everything that will be. He even knows everything that could have been or could be or could ever be. And not only does he know it, but he has known it all from the beginning of time. <coughs> A southern gospel song has these profound lyrics. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Just think about that. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has occurred to God? That sounds odd at first because Things occur to us all the time, don't they? But it's true, nothing has ever occurred to God. He never wakes up and says, a great idea just occurred to me. In the first place, he never sleeps. That's what the Bible tells us. He never slumbers or sleeps. Therefore, he never wakes up. He never has to. In the second place, all his ideas are great. And in the third place, nothing just ever occurs to him. He knows everything all the time from the beginning of time. <coughs> Did you realize that in every situation of life that you'll ever find yourself in, God is already at work, even before you got there. Working creatively, strategically, redemptively, for your good and for his glory. Doesn't that just blow your mind? 
So often we limit our thinking to the fact that God's presence goes with us as we move through life. And well, that's true. That's only part of the story. He's not only with me now, he's already way up the road ahead of me. And while I'm struggling with the problems of today, God's at work providing solutions for the things I'm going to face tomorrow. He's already there. Working creatively. Things that I have yet to face, preparing them for me and preparing me for them. In other words, God is already at work providing solutions for problems I don't even know I have yet. That's amazing. Proverbs 3 and 6 means when it promises that he, God, will make your paths straight. Well, I'm here now. God's clearing the way for me tomorrow. Are you worried about next week? Forget it. God's already there. What about the thing you're afraid to confront in a few days' time? Don't, don't sweat about it. God's already there, working it out. What about the doctor's appointment or treatment that's coming up that you're not looking forward to? Don't allow fear or worry to grip you. God's already there. God's got you covered. You know, it would be enough if God simply walked with us through the events of life as they happen, but he does much more than that. He goes ahead of us, clearing the way, arranging the details of life so that when we get there, we can have confidence that God's already been there. He goes before his people. He's at work in the future while we live in the present. And he can do that because he knows everything there is to know. Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, offers this version of verse 33 in Romans. Have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God, this deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. And it's true. I like that phrase. It's way over our heads. Because not only does God make plans we don't know about, But even if we did know about them, we couldn't understand them because he makes plans that our finite minds can't even take in. That explains why some things remain unexplainable forever. You come up against some things like that, you wonder why you never get an answer. It's because you're not capable of fully understanding God's ways. It's not that God's unwilling to explain some things. It's that our little minds can't comprehend the infinite purposes of God As Paul says, his paths are beyond tracing out. And he alone knows why everything happens the way it does. It's clear from scripture that nothing God ever planned interferes with human responsibility. Now hear me for a minute. Nothing God has ever said will happen, will in any way infringe on our free will or choice. We're free to make choices. We make them every day, every moment. To decide to do this or do that. To do good or not so good. And nothing God ever plans interferes with the freedom of human choice. Yet the amazing thing is that nothing we choose to do can frustrate God's sovereign plan for us. No matter what we do. Whether we choose this or that. With the freedom of choice that we have. Ultimately it all works out to accomplish what God has determined will be done. Isn't that amazing? No one can explain it. But that's the kind of God that we serve. The main things God wants us to know are are clear and they're plain. But we mustn't think that we can unlock all of the mysteries of God. But instead be prepared to bow before him in adoration for the things that we don't understand. 
Matthew Henry has a helpful word about this in his commentary. He says, God leaves no footprints behind him. Can't tell where he's been or where he's going. He leaves no track or trail. So that means that in life many things will happen that we simply won't be able to understand. Sickness, accidents, violent crime, sudden financial problems, lost jobs, ruined lives, children dying, divorce, natural Natural things like earthquakes and floods and famines. The list is endless. And it can be breathtaking. But only God knows why these things happen. And most of the time we can only wonder. And then Paul continues by telling us in verses 34 and 35. That there are three things uh, no one can do. He begins with the same two words. Who has? Who has? Who has? And the answer is always the same. No one No one, no one. First of all, despite what I'm trying to to do this morning, no one can explain God. Paul asks, who has known the mind of the Lord? Lots of people think that they know what God is like, but the only thing we, we know about God are things that he has chosen to reveal to us. And secondly, no one can counsel God. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, is there anyone smart enough to tell God what to do? (coughs) You know, in the high schools, there are trained professionals called guidance counsellors who help students make wise decisions about the future. And they gather data from report cards and classwork scores and interviews and then they combine the students' strengths and weaknesses with the available job opportunities. And student counsellors are indispensable because life is filled with so many possibilities. But God needs no guidance counsellor because he's the ultimate guidance counsellor. He gives every being in the universe. He counsels all creation. No one is his counselor. God's a little like the, you know, the teenagers that we've all been or still have at home. You know, you can't tell them anything because they know everything. <laughs> Instead of a, an ill-prepared college student was struggling with their final exam in economics. And he happened to be taking the test just before Christmas. And in desperation, he just scrawled across the bottom of the paper. Only God knows the answer to these questions. Merry Christmas. (laughs) And when he got the paper back, the teacher had marked it. God gets 100%. You get zero. Happy New Year. (laughs) No one knows as much as God does. No one can explain God. No one can be his counselor. And also, no one can accuse God of unfairness. Paul noted in verse 35 of Romans 11, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And that question originates from Job 41.11, where God asked Job, Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. No one can ever say, God, you owe me. I'm entitled, God, you owe me. Because he's no man's debtor. No one can say I've earned your favour. Because everything this side. Listen. Everything this side of hell. Is mercy. And everything this side of heaven. Is grace. God saves those he's under no obligation. To save. You know he could have destroyed the human race. And started all over again with better raw material. But he didn't. And what he did do was quite literally unimaginable. The infinite became finite. The almighty God became a tiny baby. Deity came to us wrapped in a nappy. 
And then in the wisdom of God the Father, the Son died a humiliating death on a Roman cross. And the sinless one bore the sins of the world. God has done everything necessary for you and me to know him as we ought in redemption and to go to heaven. So no one can accuse God of unfairness because his offer of salvation goes out to the whole world. Whosoever will may be saved. And then finally, in verse 36, Paul gives us reasons to praise God. It's as if Paul can't contain himself any longer. He wants to show that God is all in all and everything comes from him. Everything exists by his power. Everything will ultimately answer to him. God is the source of all things, which means that all things flow from him. And not only do all things flow from him, but he is the reason for the continued existence of the whole universe. He alone understands the purposes for everything that he created. And so Paul concludes with this breathtaking statement because Paul includes all things in his exclamation because nothing is left out. No part of creation is excluded. Everything comes from him, from God. Everything continues by God and everything finds its ultimate purpose in God and God alone. You know, life is like a a giant jigsaw puzzle. Have you discovered that? We're like children trying to put the puzzle together with just a handful of pieces. And someone else has the box that has the picture on the cover. So we're left trying to fit our little handful of pieces together and trying to figure out the big picture at the same time. And it's no wonder that we struggle to figure out what life's all about sometimes. As the years pass, we, we pick up more pieces to that puzzle and Things that once troubled us now seem to fit into place because eventually everything fits somewhere. And I'm reminded of Augustine's famous words, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And we can only echo the concluding words of the Apostle Paul that we read. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The mysteries of God lead us in one of two directions. Either we'll falter in our faith because our God that we imagine is so small when we don't understand things or we'll bow the knee before God, a God who is so great and awesome for us to fully comprehend. God always leaves us with a choice, doesn't he? I wonder as we finish this message and the worship team comes back up to sing our closing song. Can you just repeat those words for me to him be glory forever in life and in death to him be glory forever joy and in sorrow good days and dark nights in sickness and in health in your career and in your home, in your marriage and in your children, in your prosperity or in your poverty, in moments of victory or darkest defeat, to him be glory forever. In prayers answered and when prayers aren't answered, to him be glory forever. In yesterday's tears, today's rejoicing, and tomorrow's adventures, to him be glory 
forever. And so Paul concludes with this great outburst, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then there occurs what must be the most terrible and tragic separation of text that has ever been made in Scripture. After this great doxology at the end of chapter 11, the chapter division here cuts off Paul's conclusion from, from all the tremendous arguments that have led up to it because properly translated and understood, Paul goes right on to say, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, therefore, because God is like this and we are like that, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you're a Christian, your spirit has already surrendered to God. But we sometimes try to live split lives, don't we? Almost like spiritually schizophrenic lives. If your body doesn't follow what your spirit has already done, and we practice what we say we believe, what Paul is describing here is not the act of a moment. It's a commitment for the rest of our lives. So let's bring ourselves as living sacrifices. Uh, and the God of greatness and glory, of infinite riches and wisdom and power, will fill us with his own amazing life. And we'll find that life will never be the same again. And what an adventure of faith it is. What an adventure of faith we'll experience when we cross over. To meet God for the first time, perhaps, for some of you here this morning. Or to continue to know this God as we continue to mature in our faith. And as we consecrate ourselves, we'll see God do amazing things as we confidently cross over and are willing to cross over into anything that he is calling us into. Amen.